when we gather in the morning, if this is all that we do, it will already be good. We gather together. We acknowledge the Lord. Jesus is King. And we humble ourselves before Him. We say, Your kingdom. We have a few more minutes together. We're going through the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 the last week. We heard the verse, Blessed are the merciful, they will receive mercy. And we have Q&R times, question and response. Some of those questions, good questions last Sunday. I felt like we were really starting to get somewhere, you know, bumping into some of their tough questions. Another question that came during Q&R time. Um, uh, after was about Jesus on the cross. You can put that slide up there, the one about Cuban R, so people know they can text or email to uh, ask at westernchurch.ca. So another question came up, and that was, you know, what about the mercy uh, of for Jesus? He was on the cross, he was crucified, and where was the mercy during that time when Jesus was on the cross? It's a good question. If you were to consider Jesus on the cross, where would you see the mercy? Well, the mercy was being expressed already when Jesus was on the cross, and he offered mercy to one of the thieves on the cross, who asked to be remembered, and Jesus said, you will be with me today in paradise. So Jesus was expressing merciful. He was merciful, but also he was not experiencing mercy at the very moment. And it is true that the merciful expression will not always immediately be reciprocated. The mercy that we express will not always be immediately reciprocated by mercy. But as we have been talking and understanding, as Jesus has been teaching and, and embodying the gospel message, the gospel message is both in the present, meant for the present, and also in the future. So when I say present, present it is the already. So it is already unfolding, but there is also an aspect of the future where it will come in the future. And so... Jesus' experience of mercy was in the near future, three days hence, for example. When the power of the Holy Spirit raised him, and he experienced the mercy of God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. So continuing to think of both the present, the already, and the future, the not yet. And both of those, especially the future, can be sort of a near-term or long-term. So it's important for us to think in these models that Jesus is demonstrating in body in terms of the gospel. The question for this morning is, where is God? Where is God? Can we see him? Is it even possible to see God? We see a lot of other things. We see plenty of all else. But what about God? Well, if God is a spirit, then doesn't that mean that he is invisible? But wouldn't it be great if we could see God? 
Wouldn't it be great if we could actually see Him? But is seeing God only for a select few? For an elite group or a special group? What does it take to see God? When the people in Jesus' day were gathered around him as he was bringing this sermon in Matthew chapter 5, they too were seeing all kinds in their immediate context. They were in, in, inhabited by other, another country. They were seeing all kinds of violence and um, other corrupt aspects of life all around them. And they were wondering, well, where is this God? And can we see him? Can we experience him? Experience him? Where is he? And they had heard stories from their ancestors about Moses, for example. In Exodus, Exodus chapter 33, they heard this story. Moses said, show me your glory, I pray. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you the name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one shall see me and live. And the Lord continued, see, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not uh, be seen. They heard this story. But Moses pleading, and finally the Lord says, okay, I'm, I'm going to give you a glimpse. They heard about Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. We heard those words this morning from chapter 6. Isaiah 6, starting in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him, each had six wings, with two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook and at the voices of those who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Manifest presence of God, and they heard. Isaiah had seen and had a glimpse and a vision of God. So the people wondered. They'd heard these stories. But was it just elite and special people. They had heard about a Messiah, an anointed one that would come and would be their king. What they interpreted by that, their interpretation of that, was it would be an earthly king who would free them from earthly oppression that was coming to them by way of other countries. That was their interpretation. But now, Jesus was standing in front of them, preaching to them. And they wanted to know how and was it possible to see God. We are 
in this context, one thing. Is it possible? Is it possible for us? Is it possible? I mean, we see uh, plenty when we turn on the news. We see plenty when we go on to the internet. There's plenty that we see. But is it possible to see God? And by asking the question, I would like to ask you, what would you expect? What do you expect if you are expecting to see God? What are you expecting in that kind of experience? What would it be like? So for us, we have now come onto this side where we have the New Testament. The people in Jesus' day had the Old Testament, and there were plenty of people that were preaching from the Old Testament scriptures, so they knew that. But now we have the New Testament, so maybe we are shaped and influenced not only by the Old, but by the New Testament. So let's go to what Paul explains. Chapter 22 of Acts. While I was on my way and approaching Damascus, about noon, high noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone above me. So it must have been an impressive light. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you will persecute. Oh. An encounter with Jesus. Or maybe we're influenced by what we read in the book of Revelation. John writing in Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe, and with a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white as white wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined as in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining with full force. There's spectacular encounters of human beings seeing Jesus. Is that our expectation? Is our expectation to be that kind of a spectacular uh, encounter? What is it that we expect? What does it take for us here to see God? We are in this series on the Beatitudes, and it's within the context of our theme for the year. Our theme for the year is be transformed. For us as a congregation and individually to be transformed, to be changed, to be transformed more into the likeness of Christ. So we're in this section of Matthew chapter 5 of the Beatitudes. 
What Jesus is here preaching is what Jesus actually believed. What Jesus lived out and practiced in his life. And therefore what he also taught us. And what we hear in these words is his belief, his way of living, and his teaching. So that we might learn and know him more. And be transformed into his likeness. Not into the likeness of another uh, dictator or government official or even athlete, but into the likeness of Christ Jesus. That is the offer gives. And so he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see. Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus says, for they will see God. This is a promise of revelation. It is a promise of intimacy. For the pure in heart will see and know God. See, harapo. It is both a literal expression and a figurative expression. It means to know in the fullness, but in the literal sense, harao, to see God in the literal sense, what Jesus is saying is the pure in heart will literally see Jesus Christ face to face someday. Are we grasping that? There will come a day when those pure in heart will see God. That's in a future. But there is also a present, a figurative extension of the mind, hurrah, or this figurative extension, which means that it is also a matter of perceiving or sensing, perceiving or sensing of the mind to see and perceive of. So even in these theophanies, these, these revelations of God that are captured and written in Scripture, there is both this literal and this figurative sense where they are perceiving and sensing even amidst the smoke and the light and so on. There's this real sense that they are perceiving of God. So then what is pure? If the promise is that he will both literally and figuratively see and perceive of God, then what is pure? Pure heart. What is pure? Well, if we say um, pure gold, or if we say pure virgin wool, or if we say pure olive oil, what does that mean? It means that it is entirely clean, if you will, that there is no mixture, that it is just gold, it is just wool, it is just that element. It is pure, it is clean, it is undivided. 
There is no division there. It is entirely the same. No conflict. Katharos. Interestingly, the Greek word for pure is katharos. It's where we get our English word catharsis from. It's this uh, purging of in order to be clean and undivided. Katharos. But it's pure, not in the outward sense, in the physical sense of, you know, washing the stains or the, the, the dirt or grease from my fingernails, but it's pure of heart, cardia, cardia. The Greek word cardia, which you can hear where that gives us our English word from, but it is always in the New Testament referring to the inner self. Cardia, the inner person, the inner person which has these different, these three aspects to it. Thoughts, and this triangle that I've represented here, thoughts, feeling, and will, or volition. This is the internal self. And I would like to overlay the word desire because it kind of fits along with will, volition, and feelings, and so on. But this is the inner person. Pure purity in this inner person. So there are passages that you see here from Romans that talk about the inner person. Psalm 24 talks about not offering our inner person, our soul, our heart to other gods or other idols. Not offering our inner person. Jesus later in Matthew chapter 12 and in Matthew chapter 15, he says that it is what comes from our heart that reveals who we are in our character. It's what comes out of this. This is kind of like the seat or the, the, the foundation of our, our being. And out of this comes demonstration of who we are. So what Jesus is saying is that it is possible to see God. And that it is possible for anyone or everyone to see God. Which means it is better than 2020. And there are some optometrists here, so I'm going to tread carefully off because I'm not one. What I understand from 2020 is that it's kind of like a normalized standard of what people can typically or what we are expected to see. And we call that 2020 if you kind of fit in that norm. But this is an even better offer than typical or, or, or common sight. The prospect is that we can see God. We can perceive of him in the ordinary course of our day. We can experience him in the ordinary course or sometimes in, in an extraordinary way in the present. And then also in the future, either near future or ultimate future, we will literally see God face to face. And that is available to all those that have a pure heart or have an undivided, a clean internal being, internal purity. So if I were to summarize here and put it into common sort of contemporary vernacular, what Jesus is saying is to see God requires our undivided attention. And what do you notice the enemy trying to do? 
Are we even aware of his work to try and distract and get our attention? But the prospect, the promise is that the Lord will reveal himself to us this morning, this afternoon, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We will perceive of him, we will sense him, and someday in the future, literally face to face, if we have an undivided internal being. So the Lord has, with this one sentence, the Lord has affixed seeing him with purity, cleanness, or undivided But here's the challenge and the problem. Not one of us here, including me, is presently perfect, pure, not on our own. I'll put myself first on the list. We know about sin. We know about corruption. We know about violence. The Lord has said, we are created in His image. That's us here. We are created in the image of the Lord. We are created in His image. Unfortunately for us, Sin was ushered in. And so it actually starts off with what we see. What do we see? If we put up that slide, Ruan, with the triangle, there are times when we watch movies. Movies on their own aren't bad, but certain ones are. You watch certain movies and there are certain scenes, there are certain scenes that are in those movies when you're finished watching it for the next day or two, those images are replaying on the screen of your imagination. You are replaying them. You're seeing those again in your mind. Maybe there's video games that you're playing. You just drop in. They drop in. I call that kind of like cataracts. They start influencing it, and they, they you know, cataracts, optometrist here, but there's like these black dots and you know, you can do, and also you see that they're floating and they're just they're taking away your attention and there are these, these things in our internal being that are taking away our attention and maybe it's certain video games, certain movies, certain music that we're listening to, certain things we're doing online, and, and it's affecting what we see. And the thing is we see them, but then after it's over, they replay. I'm not making it up. You know this. It replays in your mind. And sooner or later, we're living in this way. And sooner or later, it's very difficult for us to see the Lord. What we're seeing is all those things that are replaying in our minds. Those things that are inhabiting our thoughts, those things that are affecting our feelings and our choices, and soon we are becoming, we 
greed. We are becoming prideful. We are becoming idolatrous. All of those things that we didn't sign up for, we didn't initially choose or say we wanted to become, but that was beginning to influence us because the enemy is distracting us and giving us other things to see. But Jesus says the pure in heart will see God. So is that an empty promise? If this is how we are, is, is it empty promise? Well, what we understand what Jesus was doing when he came, when God the Father sent the Son, and what Peter um, attests to in 1 Peter is that Christ died for sins. Once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. He took the sin, but was not sinful. He took it. You don't have to have it. It's done. It's finished. But we're in a spiritual battle, and the spiritual battle means that it continues. And we're here, and we're having trouble seeing God. We're seeing everything else. But the promise is that we can seek Him. So how do you think that can work? What needs to happen? In this experiment, what do you think I should do? What? For, for this into this. Dude, I hope this works. <laughs> it's not an empty promise. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. It's described so many different ways. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We say, take him into our hearts. What does that mean? It means saying yes to the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Lord, I need this. I need this today. I need you tomorrow. I need you Tuesday and Wednesday. Jesus makes a way. That's the good news. That's the gospel. But the thing is, we are wanting to have Jesus as Savior when really what we need is Jesus as Lord. Jesus is Lord. That means He's in charge. If Jesus is Lord of my life, then He will also be Savior of my life. I don't want to follow, have a, a, a prime minister or a president as the Lord of my life. I want Jesus as Lord of my life and my family and my neighborhood and this church. So that no matter what time in history we are, we are able to do battle against the spiritual forces of wickedness. 
so that we can see God. And that we are transformed. We are transformed into His likeness. In fact, what He's doing is He's returning us to His likeness. We will be transformed. That's the good news. We will be transformed as our hearts are purified. As our hearts are purified. Now I want you to know that what I am talking about here, what the Lord is talking about here, is about purity, not perfection. It, it would be impossible if it was a requirement for us to be perfect at all times. It is about purity, which has speaks to the matter of motive or sincerity. Do I, you, we sincerely desire for the Lord to do this kind of work in our thoughts, in our feelings, and in our wills? That's sincere. It's our motive. We desire that to be the case in our lives. And his promises, he will do it. So when we think of Jesus and the cross, and the fact that he took the sin and removed it so we wouldn't have to have it, our hope is also in the resurrection. It is in the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. What that means is that our hope is that he will raise us in our present time as well. Paul writing in 2 Corinthians says, uh, 4 says that uh, we are always carrying about in us the death of Christ so that the power of Christ, the life of Christ, may be evident in our bodies. So friends, what that means is that I believe that when we receive this cleansing and when we are receiving the purity that God offers to us, He is raising us again. So yes, I was saved, you were saved, you were raised when you accepted Jesus as Lord and you received the Holy Spirit. You were saved, you were raised. But we are also in the present being saved. We are being raised to new life as he does that work in us. And someday we will also be raised as when he returns and live together without end. So our hope is in the resurrection that is already in effect in the present. He will raise you and me to new life today and tomorrow, out of the garbage and into the goodness. I know as I was looking at this, I know um, many of you, if you're sort of 50s, 60s or older, probably lived through what was referred to as the purity culture. This emphasis on purity. The emphasis on this purity movement in the 80s and early 90s when it came about was more or less um, driven by fear, shame. You know, um, sex is bad. Movies are bad. Music is bad. Burn stuff. And it was mostly just fear and shame and moralistic uh, values of just don't, 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 don't. And it has done at least as much harm as good. 
That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's actually making a promise all through the Beatitudes that include rewards and benefits for following him. And so when we have our children growing up as little ones, I love to see all the little children. But one of the first words they learn is what? Yeah, it's no. Pretty soon we've painted everybody into a corner, and all the kids, like, we just go, we paint everybody into a corner. We know this, know that, you can't do this, you can't do that, you know, no, 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 no. And it's like the kid is sitting there going, well, can you give me a hint as to what I can't do? Is there a yes in there? And so what the gospel is doing and what Jesus is saying is encouraging us adults to start guessing. I want to see God. <laughs> I want to see him in my neighborhood. I want to see God in my day. I want to perceive of him in my day. That's my yes. And if that's my yes, then I have to manage some of this other stuff that is trying to get my attention. It's my yes, not my no, that wants to drive my life. And the gospel is yes. It is for God so loved me. Not for God so hated me. So it is freedom that he is offering. It is a freedom to something, which also necessarily means that I am turning from something. But it is the two motivates us. I want to pause here for a couple of minutes for Q&R. If you have some questions, you can ask them. You can text or email to askwestonchurch.ca or you can stand where you are. We will take some of your questions. Um, if you have one and you're thinking, I'm going to wait till I get into the foyer. <laughs> don't. Doug says don't. Don't. Ask don't now. Ask so far, whenever people have come and have talked to me in the foyer and asked questions in the foyer, they have been really good questions that I'd, I'd love to have shared. Um, I bring some of them back, but if you have one, I'd love to hear. All right, this one has a few questions in it. So, um, uh, Exodus thirty-three twenty says, "You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live." Uh, so is this the reason that Moses was not able to look upon God's face? If so, Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel all spoke to God and walked with him, looking at him. Yes. Uh, were Moses' motivations then not pure? There's a lot of questions. If so, is that why he never entered the promised land? Okay, there's a, there's lot, a lot in there. There's a lot in there. Lot so thank you. Uh, that's good. That's yeah, like a someone, 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 someone has more than a, a phone or an iPad. You've got a keyboard. You're bringing, <laughs> you're bringing your laptop now, um, which is good. So there's a couple of pieces. I'm going to see if I can sort of uh, unpack some of those. So what we heard in Exodus, what God is, was saying to Moses. So first of all, I, I would just go with when Moses was saying, Lord, I want to see you. Like, I get that. I can relate to that, you know. I, so I will give him sort of a good pass on his desire to see the Lord. He's done a lot of interacting with, with the Lord. He's had, a, I mean, he's, he's moved, he's given his life, and so on. Um, 
So I would say, in terms of his motive there, I would give him a pass and say, I get it. I would say, you know, so we would have to just accept that he would love to see glory. God's message to him was, dude, you, it's not possible for me to show you the fullness of who I am without blowing your doors off. Okay? So this is an aspect of the already not yet. Brothers and sisters, that to me is also good news. That means that the, the material world that we live in today is not going to be quite sufficient for the glory yet to come. That there is a materiality that is other and different which we will yet someday experience. And so for God to show his fullness of who he is, this earth, this realm, and us in this current form can't, will not be able to quite cover the fullness of all of that. But a day is coming. But he will appear. And so that is part of this. But God says, I'm going to give you a glimpse. Now, he says, my glory will pass before you. So he does show Moses. And incidentally, or not so incidentally, this experience is so profound and he has such an effect on Moses that he's kind of like a glow-in-the-dark dude when he comes down. Right? It's like it's such a, you know, so if God had given him the full glory, I don't, you know, he would have worked. Already it was enough that they had to say, dude, we're going to have to put something over there because, you know, back that up. It's too bright. <laughs> So there's that aspect. I think there was there's more to the question there. It says, so, but Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel all spoke to God yes. and walked with God. Yes. Yes. Right. right. So in, before the sort of uh, entrance of of sin, which is really alienation from God, before that began to be established and took hold, we understand that. Adam and Eve, human beings, were walking with God, together with God. We don't have a great description of that, but they, they were in personal relationship and contact with God to some degree or other what that looked like. Yes. So there's, there might be a bit more to that question. There, there, there is. Okay. Let's do a couple more pieces of it, then okay. we'll go to another one. Were Moses' motivations then not pure? Okay, well, I got And if so, is that why he never entered the promised land? Okay, so the why he didn't enter the promised land is another sort of discussion. Uh, but it wasn't having to do with his desire to see God, because actually God rewards his request by showing himself to Moses. Yeah. Any any questions from the audience? Thanks, Coop. Thanks. Thanks. Um, you can ask your questions. You can send them in. Um, there were two phrases I was going to use. One was cataracts. And the other was macular degeneration. And since I didn't work it in, I'm just going to say that now. So I guess my closing little question to you is, what do you see? 
to see Literally, what are you seeing? And figuratively, what are you perceiving and sensing? Uh, James 1 says uh, a religion that is pure and acceptable to God is this. That you take care of widows and orphans, and that you keep your life unstained from the world. The offer is that if we are pure in heart, we're going to perceive of the Lord in our day, in our lives. And so I think there's a place for what I would call spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. Because this won't happen accidentally. Calling on the Lord and having Him involved in our lives and purifying, that doesn't happen accidentally. When I talk about spiritual practices, I'm not talking about practices in a legalistic way that if you do X, Y, and Z, that saves you. No, Jesus is Lord. But you could think of it as kind of like a spiritual workout in your day. A one-minute spiritual workout where we invite the Lord to do this because we want to see the Lord. And maybe even we want the Lord to be seen in us. So I want to leave you with a spiritual practice that was from my thesis supervisor, Charles Stone. He wrote a book called Holy Noticing. He talked about this acronym called breath. This is the spiritual practice I want to encourage you to consider. You can remember breath. B-R-E-A-T-H, because you're doing it all the time. The B is body. The R is relationships. The E is environment. The A is afflictive, which is your feelings. The T is thoughts. And the H is heart. Body. Relationships, environment, afflictive, thoughts, heart. And just a minute in your day where you take a breath in and you just ask the word, how's my body? How's my body doing? What's my body doing? How are my relationships? What is the environment I'm in? How are my emotions, my afflictive life? What is my thought life? And Lord, here is my heart. So just now, in this one minute, I take a breath in, Holy Spirit. And I breathe out and I say, Jesus, you are Lord in my heart. I breathe in, I say, purify my heart. I breathe out with gratitude and say, thank you, Lord. Maybe you could try that right now. Let's try that right now. We're going to take a breath in and say, purify our hearts. You can say it quietly or in your mind. You take a breath in. Take a breath in and say, breath in and say, thank you, Lord Jesus. It's a one-minute workout. You can do it in the morning, the afternoon, 
and they kill with every mark. And Jesus promises you will see 